Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Santa! Oh, my God! Would you please tell him that instead of presents this year, I just want my family back. Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? It must be magic. I must find some way to keep Christmas from coming. Nobody's walking out on this fun old-fashioned family Christmas. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? True, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Welcome to another episode of Tis the Podcast, the podcast that's determined to keep the Christmas spirit alive 365 days per year. I'm Anthony. I'm Julia. And I'm Tom. And we have a very special guest tonight, Joanna Wilson of ChristmasTVHistory.com, among many other things, but I'll let her talk about her credentials. How's it going, Joanna? Hi, Anthony. It's uh, great to join you in conversation. I'm excited to uh, talk about Supernatural. Oh, I am too. <laughs> Are you a fan of the show in general, out of curiosity? I am really familiar with the Christmas episode. I've written about it quite a bit, but I'm not too familiar with the series as a whole. So, so I'm the only one of the four then. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this was, my, this was my introduction to Supernatural. I've never done anything at all i've never seen it nothing um this was this was actually my first experience today so before we hop into that though for the listeners who don't know who you are joanna do you want to tell them a little bit about yourself and what you do yes i'm a tv researcher and writer uh that specializes in christmas entertainment so um my reputation is based on uh, the encyclopedia i wrote called tis a season tv which is an encyclopedia of everything christmas on tv um, every Christmas-themed episode, special, and made-for-TV movie. And from that research and that passion about Christmas uh, TV programming and movies, I've also written uh, three more books about <laughs> uh, the Yuletide on television and in films. So this is right up my alley. I'm excited to share my uh, passion with three more people that uh, know what it's all about. <laughs> You have the perfect job. That's what I said. So basically, you really the coolest job. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so why don't we hop right into the episode then? So, for those listeners who don't know, tonight we're covering 2007 season three, episode eight of Supernatural, a very supernatural Christmas. Julia, do you want to give them a plot synopsis? When multiple victims are pulled up the chimney during the holiday season, never to be seen again, Sam and Dean believe they are hot on the trail of an anti-claws, only to discover that what they were actually hunting is a pair of old pagan gods who have assimilated into society and have found a new way of getting their yearly sacrifices. Meanwhile, with less than a year to live, Dean is determined to celebrate his last Christmas on Earth, much to Sam's irritation. Interspersed throughout these storylines, flashbacks to a Christmas when the Winchesters were kids reveal Sam's introduction to the supernatural and the beginning of his estrangement with his father, as well as where Dean got his golden amulet that he still wears to this day. So we kind of touched on it already, but let's uh, jump into our histories with the show, in particular this episode. Uh, Joanna, why don't you kick us off as our guest? Like I mentioned before, I am not 
uh, I haven't seen the entire run of the entire series, but I am a big fan of this Christmas episode, which I've written about um, for several different other projects. And um, one of the reasons I have written about this quite a bit is because it's got a lot of great details in it. And I hope we're going to unfold a lot of those as we, uh, as we continue to talk. Tom, how about you? Nada. (laughs) (laughs) Julia? Yeah, (laughs) about the same, my first Supernatural episode ever. So I saw this episode when it first aired back in 2007, because I've been a fan of the show from day one. I remember when I saw the previews of the pilot, uh, it looked right up my alley, because I'm a huge Buffy and X-Files fan, and this just looked like another one of those. So I was really excited for the show, and I love the show. I fell off it in recent years because they're in season 14 or 15 now or something yeah, like that. Yeah, 14, yeah. Yeah, 14. Wow. So it's going on and on. I'm pretty sure it's probably the CW's biggest moneymaker. They definitely have the most passionate fan base out of anything on that channel right now. But uh, it's a good show. Uh, the first five seasons in particular. And I'm a big fan of um, X-Files and Buffy the Vampire Slayer too. And even Kolchak. I, there's influences from Kolchak in this Definitely. And I actually, I've seen all of those episodes of all three of those seasons. I'm a big, huge fan. I, in theory, I would be a huge fan of the show. I, <laughs> so much good TV on TV right now. It's hard to uh, catch it's everything. It's hard to and keep up, right? It is. <laughs> this is definitely one of those shows that uh, I want to keep, you know, in mind when I'm looking to binge something, uh, you know, over uh, vacations and over breaks. But so far, I haven't. My feeling with it is because I've fallen off in recent seasons, I'm waiting for it to end so I can just binge it from the beginning again and yeah. right to the end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so go I'm, for it. I'm interested in that because, like I said, I, I have no real frame of reference. This never, this show never got on my radar um, at any point in time. But I do some so many other uh, CW shows. I'm I'm surprised to see this is bigger than like Arrow, which seems to have a huge fan base right now and and is everywhere. So you think, so this is bigger than Arrow. Well, it definitely has some more vocal and oh. passionate fans, I think. At least from my experience. Hmm. Cool. But, um, yeah. So. I don't think Arrow has a 67 Black Impala. <laughs> oh, I love that oh, car Oh, it is so missing much. that. <laughs> yeah. It's a beautiful um, car. That was very yes. nice. Very nice. Let's just run through the credits real quick, like we always do. And Joanna, since you're the TV expert, feel free to interject while I'm going through this if you have anything fun and cool to add. So this episode was directed by Jay Miller Tobin, um, who's done a lot of Supernatural, The Vampire Diaries, Pretty Little Liars, Gossip Girl, 90210, Numbers, The Agency, Oz, Terminator, The Sarah Connors Chronicles. So a lot of uh, CW type shows in there. It was written by Jeremy Carver, who's best known for Supernatural and the North American adaptation of Being Human, which is another cool show. So what's the non-North American adaptation of Being Human? Is it a British show? It was a British show first, yep. Okay. Same premise, same exact premise. Gotcha. So the cast, Sam Winchester is played by Jared Padalecki, who's best known for Supernatural, The Gilmore Girls, the Friday the 13th remake, and House of Wax. Dean wow, which one of these is not like the other? <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm from Gilmore Girls, personally. Yeah. So that's funny. <laughs> where where yeah. he played a character named Dean. Right. Yeah, crazy enough, right? Who I liked Dean very much, and then I hated Dean. 
hated yes. Dean. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone ended up hating Dean. <laughs> just cheated on his wife a little bit, guys. Oh. No big deal. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Dean Winchester is played by Jensen Ackles. Again, best known for Supernatural. He's been on Days of Our Lives, Dark Angel, Smallville. He starred in My Bloody Valentine 3D. And he did the voice of the Red Hood and Batman Under the Red Hood. Edward Kerrigan is played by Spencer Garrett. He's just had a bunch of minor TV roles. Madge Kerrigan was played by Marilyn Gann. Again, just a bunch of minor TV roles. Young Sam Winchester was played by Colin Ford. Um, he was on Under the Dome, Jake and the Neverland Pirates, and he was in We Bought a Zoo. And young Dean Winchester was played by Ridge Knipe. He was in Walk the Line, Baby Blues, Bad News Bears, and Pictures of Hollis Woods. So I'm curious, since the three of you don't really know the show overall, what did you guys think of this episode? Was it like easy enough to follow? Was it standalone enough for the three of you? Yeah, yeah, I'll step forward. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it it's solid, absolutely, and it's got enough richness to it and enough that's happening into it. It makes me want to watch the rest of the the series. Um, again, I would love to jump in, and this is certainly my introduction, and I would love to jump in uh, just based from watching this one uh, episode pulled out of the middle of the third season. Yeah, <laughs> it works for this- me as a standalone for sure. I'll second what Joanna said. It's got me interested. I think I'm going to uh, start with season one, episode one, and and watch at least the first five seasons at Anthony's uh, recommendation and see what I think. It did make me a little jealous with the amulet. Like, I feel like if I had watched the show up until that point, I'd be like, oh my gosh, that's where it came from. That's amazing. And I miss that, not having seen the previous episode. So it's like a spoiler a little bit. But I love moments like that in shows when – you get the origin of items, not just origin of a person, but like where do the things come from? Um, so that was that was neat for me. It's kind of like Scully's necklace in X Files. Um, so that that was kind of thrilling, but not as thrilling as it would have been if I'd watched from the beginning. Well, not only did it show the origin of his amulet, but more importantly, and pretty cool that happened in the Christmas episode, it showed the origin of Sam finding out what their dad actually did, which is hunting monsters. That monsters mm-hmm. are real, and uh, that's what dad's been doing when he has them locked up in motels at night. It's clear in tone. It's dark, it's melancholy, and yet it's about these two brothers. And um, that must, you can just sort of tell that must be a, a, a continuation of tone that runs through the rest of the series, which is actually very attractive. Um, makes me want to watch more. I will say with this episode, um, I respected and enjoyed the uh, the Christmas feels throughout it, even mm-hmm. in their depressing little makeshift Christmas that Dean made for Sam when they were kids. I don't know. It was just really, it, it still felt like Christmas. And, and the music throughout the episode, mm-hmm. they did a really good job. One thing that's, that's stuck out to me uh, before we get too much into anything else, this felt 100% like I was watching a CW show. There's something about CW dialogue that hits me like a ton of bricks every time I watch a CW show. I didn't know it was CW when I went in to watch it and I uh, didn't watch the beginning. So there may have been some sort of, I didn't see the, the opening credits. So there may have been something there, but um, when they were talking, I was like, yep, we're watching a CW show, aren't we? I looked it up and sure enough, it was CW. <laughs> <laughs> so I will say that when I put this on to watch for this episode, it's the first time I've seen it in a long time. And uh, 
I was sitting there thinking to myself, man, even for this show, the dialogue in this one is pretty hokey. It's not usually that CWE. It's definitely CWE, but this one in particular was like, whoa, just kind of smacked me in the face when I watched it. But don't get me wrong, there's some great lines, and I've got some wonderful quotes lined up here, but I could just, I could tell. So, like Julie went over in the plot synopsis, there are really three different storylines, I guess. So, we can discuss it. We can break them up and discuss it like that. So why don't we talk about the uh, monster of the week this episode, which are what they believe is an anti-clause, but are actually two pagan gods who are just trying to get their yearly sacrifices. (laughs) (laughs) They're just trying to get through the holidays, guys. Come on now. (laughs) I loved these characters as the pagan gods. Can I just say... It was such a fun, fun take on that. The atmosphere they're in with the house that is gorgeous, by the way, and that gingerbread house. Yes, please. May I have? And I just, it cracked me up. I was laughing and amused and horrified all at the same time. So it was perfect. I felt like their storyline was, was taken straight out of American Gods. This was very Neil Gaiman for me. You know, these, the, the way they're talking about they were gods and they've adapted and they've lost worship. So this is how they they get what they need to survive now, uh, which I thought was really cool. It was, it was nice to see that somewhere outside of the game and uh, canon. Well, Eric Kripke, who created the show is a huge fan of Neil Gaiman. And uh, that's evident in a lot of episodes, especially when he uh, deals with things like gods and demons and stuff. Like, have you read good omens? Yeah. Yeah. So he takes a lot of inspiration from that book in uh, later seasons. Very cool. Yeah, I, I too liked and connected with the fact that these two um, pagan gods are squeaky clean Midwestern middle-aged Suburbanites. <laughs> you know, they, play, they play bridge on Tuesdays and Fridays. <laughs> yeah, they've assimilated enough to uh, enjoy the mundane uh, normalcy of, of any kind of uh, Ypsilanti, Michigan lifestyle, which is, which is a wonderfully bizarre light touch to the entire story I, yeah i love that too and that's a joke i love right they keep saying they've assimilated but they clearly haven't assimilated or modernized past the 60s because they were total <laughs> ward and june cleaver or mr and mrs brady types thinking they weren't standing out in this modern <laughs> world oh know. absolutely when when edward came out and you first see him you knew something was off because the guy was very much 1950s yeah with a pipe yeah. <laughs> the only thing I didn't buy, like, they, they keep up this image the entire time, right? Even as they're getting ready to kill Sam and Dean, they still got this image. Like, she's, she's correcting him on, on not using vulgarity and not cussing. Um, <laughs> so they've got, they've got this image. They're really living it. But when, when the neighbor brings over the fruitcake and leaves, and they just look annoyed after she leaves, that I didn't buy that. That didn't seem, I don't know. It just seemed out of character for them to me. You know what I mean? I thought it was amusing that they were even like exasperated <laughs> by that. Right. Like I, I don't know. That felt, that felt funny to me. Yeah. I saw it as uh, you know, they've learned they're a part of their assimilation is repressing anger and their distaste for this neighbor's fruitcake. And so they happily, you know, they put on the suburban smile and thank you, but, and they shut the door but then they drop the fruitcake to the floor and step on it as they walk away. They're still pagan gods. They don't know. No one likes fruitcake, right? They <laughs> that brings us to a good question. I don't think we've ever discussed in this podcast. How do you guys feel about fruitcake? Hate it. 
Really? I have ever tried it. Honestly. I had really good fruitcake. I like it. I hate it. I actually love it. It's amazing, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. I like it. So is it dried fruit and bread? And nuts. Oh, it's, a, it's like a cake. Yeah. Okay. So nuts like, and, what's not to like? Yeah. It's sweet and dense and it's heavy. Yeah. It's heavy and it's dense. You you don't eat it like a regular cake. You eat small portions of it over a long period of time. But it's got a nice tangy alcohol flavor to it. It's different. You only eat it once a year. I like it. It's an underdog. I like it. <laughs> right. I gotta give it a shot this year. Bucket list. Fruit cake. I, I, yeah. And, and her, going back to what you said about you, you eat it small, you eat a little bit of it over a long period of time. It never goes bad, right? So in <laughs> February, you can still be eating the same thing. Um, if you try it, one, the, the first time I had it, I went to somebody's house and they gave me a slice, warmed it up and put whipped cream on top. And it was so good. There you go. Maybe you just need whipped cream, Anthony. Maybe. Maybe I'll try it again this year. <laughs> but uh, no, Tom, the exasperation worked for me too because they were expressing that exasperation when they had Sam and Dean tied up to the chair. I have their exact quote for later on when we're doing quotes, but they express, you know, people used to worship us and then this Jesus guy came around and now look at us. Like, so <laughs> I bought that they would be exasperated by fruitcake and having to try to blend in. And I love, love, love that Sam and Dean had to kill them with a Christmas tree. Oh, oh was- yes, absolutely. <laughs> And she, gets, and she gets upset that they knocked over the tree because uh, she loved that tree. She loved that tree. <laughs> she just loved that tree. Uh, and it's not just that they kill them. It's it's when it's time for when when each of them are are killing their respective god at the time. There are multiple stabs there, and especially when Edward is getting it, it's it's like laughably it's comedic, right? <laughs> This exaggerated evergreen going in and out of this god's chest. <laughs> I've actually seen Christmas trees used or turned into um, wooden stakes to kill supernatural creatures before. So to see this again in this 2007 episode was a lot of fun. But I've seen it before, so it was like, oh, like Ooh, where have you? Where have you yeah, seen? Yeah, where did you see it? Of all places, it's in the 2005 Christmas episode of The Grim Adventures of um, Billy and Mandy. Really? Oh my goodness. Yeah. Are you guys familiar? No. I the show. I haven't really watched it though. It's, it's um, the Christmas um, episode is, you know, Billy and Mandy save Christmas. And this is a really offbeat um, children's show, but there's, it's rich enough. There's a lot there that'll, it'll enter, entertain adults. But, um, you know, Billy and Mandy are this um, offbeat two kids. They befriend the Grim Reaper. And in the Christmas episode, he's um, upset with how dark and how cynical they are at Christmas. So he takes them to the North Pole to hang out with Santa Claus. But when they arrive, it turns out Santa Claus is a vampire. (laughs) (laughs) And they can't possibly let Santa Claus go door to door on Christmas Eve spreading his vampirism, so they decide they have to kill the head vampire. It's a great story. It's hilarious. And one small part of this episode is that um, they have, they use the, um, the, Chris, the actually the clauses, Mr. <laughs> Santa's clauses, Christmas tree, they turn it into wooden stakes to 
to kill the head vampire. So. Oh my god. That's all. <laughs> I just made note to watch that. Uh. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. But it's, it's great to see this used again here. And, and they do it well. Sam and Dean do it well here, too. Yeah, totally. And even before they find out there are two pagan gods when they're going through the list of what it could be, and they mention Krampus and Belschnickel and Black Peter. <laughs> and all of these anti-clauses that have appeared in... Uh, a few other things we've covered before. I got so excited with Belschnickel. I really did. <laughs> I did too. <laughs> all, I could, all I could think as soon as I heard it, the word impish came right, came to mind right away. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought it was sufficiently creepy. The two scenes we see them actually murder somebody or pull them up the chimney. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think what was best about that, what really got me was that they didn't, we sort of see somebody going up, but you're watching the horror on children's faces. Mm-hmm. I mean that that is twisted. So watching this, like especially the first one, where like the, the, the or the second one, where the who we know now to be one of these pagan gods comes down the chimney, and the kids are like Santa, you're early, and then Santa goes up and like drags his mother down the stair. Oh, it was awful. Yeah, awful. Well, the the first one kind of made me laugh with that little kid just watching from the stairs. Grandpa, and he, the grandpa gets pulled up the chimney. You just hear. And the, <laughs> I had the uh, subtitles on. I like I like subtitles, and it actually put in the subtitles sounds of bones cracking. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah. So um, one of the other stories in this episode is um, Dean really wants to celebrate Christmas for the first time in years, much to Sam's annoyance because he doesn't have good Christmas memories, and because frankly he knows it's. The reason Dean wants to do it because it's his last year to live is the same reason Sam doesn't want to do it because he just can't sit around pretending everything's fine when he knows he's not going to be there next year. So does he die? Okay, well, let's, okay, let me rephrase it. How does he know he's going to die? Like at this point, why do we know this guy's just perfectly fine, healthy, and going to be dead by next year? <laughs> okay, because, okay, so the first two seasons are spent tracking down this demon who killed their mother when they were children. That's that their father on this monster hunting course that he eventually raised them on. And they eventually do kill this demon in the second season finale, but not before Sam dies. So Dean sells his soul to a crossroad demon to bring Sam back. Uh, and the demon only gives him one year instead of the normal 10 because he must know there's a season finale a year from now, but no. <laughs> he, he did it because... Um, they're the Winchesters and every monster and demon on the block want them because they're legendary. And uh, so she only gives him a year. And when gotcha. Sam finds out, uh, he freaks out. And season three is really their hunt to get Dean out of his contract. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Thank you for that backstory for those of us non-supernatural watchers. No problem. I was like, he's dying. He looks fine to me. I don't understand what's happening. And then I was like, oh, it's probably some prophecy. And then my husband was like, I don't know. It's probably like a curse or something. (laughs) (laughs) Watch the next files with me. So he's, he's coming up to speed on how it works. So did not having that backstory hamper your ability to enjoy this aspect of the episode? I don't think so. Or could you just accept on face value? Okay. He's going to die for some reason. And I definitely didn't have the emotional stakes that mm-hmm. I would have had yeah. if I had loved these guys, right? From 
three seasons prior. So I missed out on that. But I mean, I, I just rolled with it. You know, I was like, okay, he's going to die. And this other one's sad. Um, but I am looking forward to, if I do pick the series up, building up that attachment to these guys and enjoying this episode after having built that attachment. Yeah, that's a good point. I just figured he deserved it and had it coming. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, that I wouldn't say it uh it hindered me from enjoying, but it was kind of I wondered a little bit. My my mind wandered trying to figure out what was wrong. Did he have something physical? Was it a curse? You know what was going on here. So it was a distraction for me more than anything. I loved the resolution to this part of the episode, though, which is really the resolution to the episode as a whole, where Sam gives him the Christmas he wanted in the motel. And as small as it was, it gave me the feels. That, that beautiful oh. rendition of uh, have yourself a merry little Christmas playing. And the tree, as small as it was, looked adorable. And mm-hmm. it, it reminded me as well with their gift exchanges and everything, kind of with that last scene in the X-Files Christmas one we covered. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sitting yep. on the couch, unwrapping presents. Yep. And Mulder got that. You mentioned, so Joanna, we covered um, the Ghost Who Soul Christmas last, I don't even know how long it's been. Um, and we talked about how, well, we were talking about the last scene and Anthony's like, actually, if y'all happen to be supernatural fans, this is super similar to the ending of that supernatural episode. And I'm like, I need to watch that. We put it on our <laughs> schedule. <laughs> but um, yeah, I noticed that with the skin mags and the, the tape for Mulder and it just made me very happy. Because I, I love that Christmas episode. So when he hands him the eggnog, they actually spike that eggnog for him, which is why his reaction to it being so strong was real. He wasn't expected to get actual spiked eggnog. Oh, and they thought his facial reaction was so funny. They were like, keep it in, roll with it. <laughs> I don't know so. if anybody else picked up on it, but that version of Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas that plays at the end there when the when the guys exchange gifts, that's uh, Rosemary Clooney singing. Mm-hmm. And um, for those at home that may not be all that familiar with Rosemary Clooney, she is a singer, but also an actress. And she appeared in um, the 1954 movie White Christmas with Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye and Vera Ellen. So it's even more special that uh, they included this uh, woman's uh, version of that melancholy uh, Christmas mm-hmm. classic under that uh, touching moment there at the end. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was a perfect version. It really was. It yeah. really was. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, yeah, it was absolutely amazing. And just the underlying, you know, knowing what the, the context of Meet Me in St. Louis, where uh, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas comes from. Um, yes. And understanding that it's such a, it is a really sad song. It's, it's very, it's, it's very depressing. Um, and having that playing beneath, what we assume at this point is their last Christmas together. That gives me some feels. Even though I didn't have that connection to these guys. I didn't get it when they were talking about it being his last Christmas, but when they're together and Rosemary Clooney is singing, um, you feel it right here. Yeah. (laughs) I just love the last shot of the episode of the window. Zoom out through the window, the lights and reflected in the car, their car and that beautiful Chevy Impala snow covered car. (laughs) That zoom nice out from the window just wallpaper remind- landscape. 
Yeah, that zoom out from the from the window just reminded me of eighties TV specials. The end, you know, the end of eighty TV shows. <laughs> I didn't think about. We that. don't we don't see that a lot at the end of a TV show anymore. You know what I mean? Mm-mm. But if we do, well, it's in a Christmas holiday episode. Of course. The pan out with the family and the lights of the inside of a living room. How about the fact that they use the old special presentation spinning logo at the beginning, like in one of those old Christmas specials? I love that. Okay, so is that normal? That's not normal for Supernatural, I'm assuming. The special presentation? No. Okay, I I saw it and it kind of threw me off for a second. It doesn't last very long, but I'm like, okay. (laughs) I don't know what that was. (laughs) And then just kept watching. So that is neat. I like knowing that now. I was just going to give a little bit of back history of that little animated logo at the beginning of this episode. And this is an episode. This isn't even a special, but it's still, it, it feels really good to see that um, that animated logo was used by CBS in the 70s and the 80s before they ran TV specials and especially Christmas uh, specials. So if you grew up in the 70s and the 80s watching uh, mm-hmm. Charlie Brown Christmas, Rudolph, um, even Frosty, uh, which all aired on CBS in the 70s and the 80s, you would have seen that uh, that animated logo. So it puts you right in the holiday spirit as soon as you as soon as the episode opens, which I love. That was a great tribute. I love that. Yeah, and I and I love their special, a very supernatural Christmas title card with the Santa hat and the snow background. I like that. Yeah. But speaking of uh, Rudolph, they I lo- I appreciated the touch that they were watching that on TV in the flashback in the motel yeah. when they were kids. I don't think that's Rudolph. Which it's one was it? It's Rankin Bass, and it's Animagic. But I was gonna I was gonna ask. I, I'm not sure which one that is, but I don't. That's not Rudolph, though. Is it? See, I was wondering that because Wikipedia. The no Rudolph has a different Santa. That's yeah, not that's how. Santa. Yep. Yeah, I have a guess what I think it is. It's so brief in the episode. I, I don't get a chance to, I haven't had a chance to figure out which one it is, but I've narrowed it down. I think, you tell me, I mean, if you know better, What's I think your... it's about a Santa Claus. It's just so brief. It's hard to identify which exactly it is. I don't think it's Santa Claus is coming to town. That's another option, but I don't think it's that one either because that Santa looks different as well. Mm-hmm. Which one of those Santas is your favorite? Joanna. Wow. Um, I really like Mickey Rooney um, voicing Santa, and he, he does that several times. Uh-huh. Um, he's in Year Without a Santa Claus, and Santa Claus is coming to town. Um, but I think I like the look of the Santa in Rudolph, just because it's just the classic. It's the original. It's the first. It's the one I've seen the most. It's, you know, the one that touches um, my heart the most. No one's ever asked me that before. That's <laughs> we gotta, when we did. When we did, we went on a. We had a a, a few Rankin Bass specials back to back, and we discussed the hashtag not my Santa versus my Santa. <laughs> and uh, I think we all landed on the same thing. It was Rudolph. Yeah. No, no, no. No, no. no, Anthony, no Anthony does not <laughs> like skinny leg Rudolph Santa. He's my. I despise the look of that Santa, and his attitude just adds to it. I love him. <laughs> I want to put him in my pocket. He's so his cute. His little jerky attitude just adds to his horrible look. He's I, liked, I liked his beady eyes, but I didn't like the skinniness. <laughs> my and yet favorite- you love Ed Asner as the rough-sided Santa and elf. 
But he didn't treat his reindeer horse. Donner, you should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> I don't know how else. I don't know sh- that we can blame all of that on Santa, frankly. It was a different time, guys. It was, it was. a different time. Yeah. I didn't see Santa acting like that in the other Rankin Best specials. <laughs> <laughs> Except maybe Frosty. He was a bit jerky in that one, too. Or rougher in that one. But anyway. <laughs> uh, I had to take a little bit of uh, offense to a few things when Sam was ranting about all these Christmas traditions being pagan. Got a little annoyed because it was very myopic, very one, one-dimensional without going into you know how these traditions came about, where they came from, that sort of thing. Um, but he was also wrong when he was list- when uh, Dean was listing. I think it was Dean was listing the uh, anti-clauses. Did you guys notice he listed Black Peter as an anti-clause? Yeah, when he's really Santa's helper, right? That really annoyed me, yes. Yeah. Right. You said you liked the uh, little dirty, trashy Christmas they had in the past in the motel? Yeah. I, th- I thought it was sweet. He it was so robbed sweet. a house up the street for his brother. It was, well, it's not just that he did that. Like, the effort he went to to try to give his brother a good Christmas was just really, really sweet and endearing. And you overlook the tragic flaw of him being uh, breaking into somebody's home and you know, breaking and entering and burglary and everything. And he ends up giving his brother girls toys. <laughs> it's not I even love that. I swear I didn't know they were, what do you say? Chick toys chick or for toys. chicks or something like that. I think I had that Barbie doll. I have, when he opened it up, I'm like, that looks familiar. <laughs> and that's something that carries on with his character throughout the series where he's, his brother, but he also kind of has to act like his father. He cares so much about him. They never mm-hmm. had their dad. They never they didn't have a mom growing up, and their dad was always on the road. Do we meet uh, his dad? Yep. Do we meet Jeffrey their dad? Morgan. Negan, for you Walking Dead fans. Maggie's also on the show in a recurring role throughout season three. Really? Yep. Really? I don't know if I want to watch that now. Negan has, uh, uh, Negan has ruined him as an actor for me. Because now, oh, you can only see him as Negan? Only see him as Negan. Just just his face brings so much agita every time I see it. I just get frustrated. Brings anxiety. <laughs> well, what's funny is he plays their dad, and but in real life, he's only like 11 years older than them or something like that. Jeffrey <laughs> <laughs> oh, <gosh. laughs> um, D. Morgan was on uh, The Good Wife, too. Yeah. Oh, was he? Yeah. I knew him and from Grey's, Grey's Anatomy, Anatomy initially. Yeah, I figure most people probably first saw him there. That predated yeah, I think it's wife that season anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've never he's, seen the good wife. He's beautiful. <laughs> he really is. He's one of those silver foxes that I quite appreciate. So Sarah um, loves him. Yeah. <laughs> Even yeah. as vegan, she loves the beard and she just thinks he's a good looking guy. <laughs> how, does, how does Gizmo feel about that, Julia? Gizmo doesn't care. <laughs> That's my husband. I just wanted, I've been looking for a way to bring in Gizmo. <laughs> I figured we did Gremlins last week and Gremlins came out when my husband and I were both younger and his three brothers started calling him Gizmo after that movie came out because they said he looked like him, which I'm like, that's not a bad thing. Gizmo's adorable. You were a kid. It's okay. If somebody called you Gizmo now, might worry about it, but as a kid, it's fine. I can't wait. To see I feel that. like I'd wear that nickname with pride. Gizmo's adorable, like you said. He is. He's precious. Better than being all... called Spike. Definitely. <laughs> Spike Frohmeyer. Have you guys all? Uh, so you guys all watched The Good Wife? I have. I've seen it. Oh, okay. I've never watched it. I don't need to because I live it every day of my life. 
Oh, oh is she gonna listen to this episode? <laughs> <laughs> she better. <laughs> now, now she has to. <laughs> so why don't we jump into favorite quotes and scenes and stuff like that? And Joanna, since you're our guest, why don't you kick it off? I love the final scene that we've been talking about with Rosemary Clooney singing Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas in the gift exchange and the brothers, you know, Sam clearly uh, doing his best to to meet Dean and uh, where he wants him uh, emotionally to celebrate Christmas and to have a good time, even if it is his last. Uh, I thought that was, uh, each time I see it, it's uh, very touching. That's my favorite scene. And you know, one thing I really liked about that scene too is his eyes kept flicking toward that Christmas tree in the corner throughout that scene. And I loved that because that's what I do when there's a tree in the room. Like, <laughs> and I also like the detail that starts snowing at the end because uh, oh, God's yeah. kept it from snowing, which I forgot about that aspect. And me and Sarah were sitting down watching it. And so I was in Michigan and Sarah was like, what kind of low budget did this show have? It's December in Michigan and not an ounce of snow. And then they <laughs> wrote that away. <laughs> you feel vindicated a little bit. <laughs> I did feel vindicated. I was like, well, they sh-. but at first I was like, well, they shoot in California, you know, they have to make do, but uh, then they gave an explanation. <laughs> And then you were all, see, I knew it. I knew well, it. Actually, they, they actually shoot in Vancouver, so there could have been snow. But anyway. Just like the X-Files. <laughs> Julia, how about you? I'm so glad you called on me before uh, before Tom, because I'm going to take my favorite quote that probably everybody else has. I like it when the pagan, the female pagan god um, corrects Dean for cussing and says that whenever she wants to say a bad word, instead she says fudge. <laughs> So she's, she just got his arm and he goes, you fudging touch me again, I'll fudging kill you. <laughs> and it made me laugh so hard because the timing is so great. So that little scene right there where everything is going very fast has really good comedic timing from both of the boys and the two gods. I really appreciated that. I did get, I, could, I flinched when they pulled out his nail. That was just oh. so painful. Oh. I was, I was afraid they were going to do the tooth too. When they were in there with the tooth, I'm like, oh, I, I cannot do another... <laughs> I, no, oh. oh, and then the doorbell rings. Are you going to get that? I think you should get that. <laughs> Tom, how about you? Let me look through. Julia got my favorite one there. So it's yeah. two weeks in a row. Mine have been stolen. Uh, <laughs> I like when they're talking and uh, Dean checks in with Sam to see how, you know, how the research is going. It's like, uh, and Sam says, well, we're not dealing with the anti-clause. And Dean says, what'd Bobby say? Sam said uh, that we're morons. <laughs> <laughs> Bobby, so by the way. background for not, yeah, thank you. I was going to ask. Sorry, go ahead. So Bobby is one of their dad's good friends from the, like there's this whole hunter community kind of crisscrossing the country and he's one of their dad's good friends, but he often left the boys with him while they were on, the, while he was on more dangerous hunts. So he's like their uncle Bobby. He's like a fan favorite recurring character on the show. Gotcha. So. But yeah, and he's always calling them idiots. So, idiots. <laughs> so I loved back to the pagan cods. Um, they just pulled out Sam's nail, and Dean's like, "Leave him alone." And the one god is like, "Hear how they talk to us, to gods. Listen, pal. Back in the day, we were worshipped by millions." And Dean's like, "Times have changed." And he's like, "Tell me about it." All of a sudden, this Jesus character is a hot new thing in town. All of a sudden, our altars are being burned down and we're being hunted down like common monsters. 
Then his wife is like, but did we say a peep? No, 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 we did not. Two millennium, we kept a low profile. We got jobs, a mortgage. What was that word, dear? We assimilated. Yes, we assimilated. Why, we play bridge on Tuesdays and Fridays. We're just like everybody else. And Dean's like, you're not blending in as smooth as you think, lady. (laughs) I connected to Julia's uh, quote about the female pagan god using the euphemism um, fudge. That has some real Christmas resonance uh, from the 1983 movie uh, Christmas Story when uh, Ralphie (laughs) also uses the euphemism fudge. (laughs) And uh, that's a great Christmas uh, moment. So to see it uh, repeated here uh, adds a little more depth and detail to the whole Christmas story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. So I like the whole. I like the whole scene with them going to that Santa village, uh, and I'm going to do actually two two parts that and a follow up. But uh, when that little elf girl, I didn't write this down, but the little elf girl's like, um, you know, no kids over twelve can sit on Santa's lap, and they're like, we're just watching. <laughs> she looks at them. Sam says, "We're just watching," and and she looks at them and she's like, "Ew!" And Dean's like, "Well, thanks. Now we look like a total pervert or something." Um, I didn't write that one down. <laughs> But I like when they, they decide they have to bust into the Santa's house because he's limping and smells obviously like uh, Krampus would. And uh, they go bust into his house and I'm assuming he's watching something very Christmassy and appropriate. Yeah, they can hear female screams and then, yeah, he's watching porn. Yeah, that's Christmas oriented. <laughs> that had some pretty funny lines from it. But um, and they see him and they, they say, well, if it's not St. Nicotine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he was uh, yeah, how oh, do not my Santa? That's true. He yeah. had a white beard, but the, the the actual the fake beard's like hanging down below. <laughs> so I have one more, and it's when they go to the shop that's selling these wreaths that the gods make to uh, basically, you know, mark what victims they're going to take or whatever. Mm-hmm. The shopkeeper's like, "Can I help you, boys?" And Dean's like, "Uh." I hope so. We were playing Jenga over the Walshes the other night, and uh, well, he hasn't shut up since since about this Christmas wreath. And oh, I don't know. You tell him. And Sam's just like, sure. It was yummy. <laughs> <laughs> and the shopkeeper just looks really weirded out. I do you like how uh, Sam associated Christmas with Boston Market for some reason? That was because they were on the road. They grew up in motels. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I don't think of, for me, it's, it's like on the road, Christmas meals, I think of Denny's, but, and I do like the way that uh, Dean decides to to say that Christmas wasn't good. He said, those memories aren't really Hallmark memories. You know, those aren't really Hallmark memories for me. <laughs> yeah. So would you consider this a Christmas special or just something set at Christmas? No, the whole thing revolves around Christmas, everything. Mm-hmm. Yep, from the From the wonderfully festive pagan gods home to, uh. What they're what they're dealing with, and the, there's a definite Christmas Linus moment attached to it. When that was my next question, does this pass the Linus test? Oh, oh yeah. When Sam throw Sam puts everything together for Dean, absolutely. Yep. And fun fact: this is the only Supernatural episode without any like classic '80s rock in it, because that's their music of choice on the show: '70s, '80s rock. Hmm. But it just had Christmas music. So that was a nice little change too. How have I not watched this show yet? I mean, everything you're saying, I'm like, I like all these things. How have I missed this? I need to bump it up on my list. You do. I think they just removed it from F- Netflix though for some reason. It's still on Netflix. No, it's still on there. Oh, okay. Good. Yep. That's where I watched it. So why don't we rank this episode? So guess first, Joanna, out of scale of one to 10, what would you give this? 
Um, I'd give it a seven. I'm going to come in at a 6.75. I was also thinking 6.75. Wow. Jinx, no take backs. I'm going to give this an eight, which gives us an end. Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm looking at what I gave Rudolph. I've got to bump this up. I'm going to go up to a 7.5. This is not on that list. We were, remember we decided five. not to do the Rankin Bass, Snowman, all those classic special uh, episodes. I'm still so. bumping up to a 7.25. 7.25. So that gives us an average of 7.33, which in terms of our one-off TV episodes, that would put it top of the list above the Brady Bunch and the X-Files. I agree with that because the Brady Bunch was terrible and uh, X-Files just didn't feel Christmassy. Oh, the Brady, it's the Brady Christmas special, the one. The one where she loses, she loses her, voice. her voice. Yeah. The 1969 episode? Yes. Yep. Yes. You like it? I love it. Love it. Me too. <laughs> love it. All right, so I put my foot, I, I made it this far with a guest on the show without putting my foot in my mouth. I'm pretty impressed, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so last week, Tom, you had a question of the week. You posed a question of the week for us and for our listeners. So we're going to put you on the spot here, Joanna, and <laughs> you didn't have time to think about it while the rest of us did. But last week, Tom asked, which foreign traditions would you like to come to America and would you like to be introduced into your family? So whoever wants to jump in and answer it first. Oh, I'll go first. Go for it. Because I'm hoping to steal mine from, from Tom again. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I wish we called Santa Father Christmas because I've always preferred Father Christmas to Santa Claus because it just sounds better to me. And I don't know if that can even be considered a tradition, but I wish that was what we called him. Père Noël. I would like to bring some Catalonian traditions to America. They have a, it's called cagatillo. You guys familiar with this? Mm -mm. Nope. They make a poop log. Oh, I've heard of that before. Yeah, it's a little log that poops prizes for them. And the song goes, (laughs) poop log, log of Christmas. Don't poop salted herring. They're too salty. Poop candy. It's much better. (laughs) <laughs> they also, for some reason, you'll see in the nativity scenes, they have famous figures, historical figures, all this stuff that they add in there, and they're all pooping, and they put them in the nativity scenes. <laughs> no idea why, but for somehow, uh, uh, Catalonia has, uh, for the Catalan Christmas, they have two uh, poop traditions. <laughs> I don't really want those to come over. I was just looking for an excuse to talk about them because it... Uh, <laughs> It blows my mind how in the world that gets associated with Christmas. <laughs> everybody poops, Tom. They do, but not everybody has a log that they feed food scraps <laughs> to that they'll then have to present. <laughs> if they do, then I Oh, my seven-year-old would be thrilled with that tradition. So for me, I, um, it's around Christmas. I wish Boxing Day was a thing here the day after Christmas, mm-hmm. which is tons of other countries. From England, and I know some stores sell them here, but they're not a big thing. The Christmas crackers, I always like doing that in England. They mention those in Harry Potter all the time. You pull an end and it explodes and a prize comes out. I wish Krampus was a bigger deal here too. I like the Krampus thing. I'm totally going to teach my future kids about Krampus. Get them in line. (laughs) (laughs) It's a little scarier than coal. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> on a serious uh, note, I was going to say, we, we have incorporated some things from other countries. Like uh, we celebrate St. Nicholas Day in our house like they do in Greece uh, on, no, on December 6th. 
we um, we give Ellie presents. Santa Claus comes and puts them in her shoes. Um, and then on January 1st, we always celebrate St. Basil's Day with a St. Basil's cake where you hide something in it for the, and whoever gets it um, has good luck for the new year. Do you have any, Joanna? Just to jump off what um, someone said earlier, yeah, I love Christmas crackers um, that are popular in England, and we've sort of adapted that in my house uh, for ourselves, knowing that it's a rare tradition around here, but we still enjoy it. And and we used to buy crackers at, at um, a local store. We did that for several years, and they turned out to be nearly identical every year, so we started making our own. So now for the last couple of years, we've been making our own crackers, and we get our own jokes, and we, you know, wrap them and put them in tubes and buy little plastic surprise toys in them as well. And uh, that's we, awesome. We that's so cool. Awesome. We haven't um, put explosives in them. <laughs> we don't get <laughs> a pow, like the kind of store, which is probably a really good idea because there would be sparks every Christmas morning. And that's <laughs> <laughs> the restraint on that is probably a, very good for my house, but uh, we like making, that's now become a new tradition is to make our own Christmas crackers. And I, and uh, I think like Tom said uh, about, I think it was Tom that said uh, about Krampus. I like that. It's a fun new twist. It's a fun new dimension to the holiday. I like that that's becoming a more popular thing around here. Um, We had um, near us, um, last year, there was a haunted house experience that was opened up that included Krampus. So they themed the entire walk, the whole haunted house experience Christmassy and had Krampus. And I went, I paid my money, I stood in line and I did that last um, Christmas. And that was so much fun. I got my picture taken on Krampus's lap. Oh my gosh. And, that um, is awesome. Awesome. Yeah. It was, it was a big deal. And I'm so glad I did it. And it was a lot of fun. And, uh, <laughs> Um, I like seeing, you know, uh, other people get excited about Krampus visits and Krampus walks in, in downtown cities. And I, I think that's fun. I think that's neat. I'm waiting so, for the Belschnickel walks. <laughs> I am nigh. <laughs> <laughs> so we want to hear all of your answers, listeners. And we also want to hear your answer. To, I picked out a question for next week as well to think about and you can answer this on social media, but next week I want, uh, I want to discuss with you guys um, a question that came courtesy of chasing levitation on Reddit. And they asked if you had to spend an entire week inside of a Christmas movie, which movie would you choose and why? But I'm going to throw in a twist and make it hard and say, it can't be one in our personal top fives. Okay. But there's only one answer, but it can't be one in the personal top fives. And I'm going to say, add, it could be a Christmas movie or TV special. Um, But their answer was, I would choose Elf. I'm usually alone with my annoying excitement for everything Christmas, so I'd love to spend a week with Buddy and finally have someone to be be super annoying with. (laughs) But uh, a long week. (laughs) So I want you guys to think about that one in the next week. And since you're not going to be on next week, Joanna, what movie or TV special would you choose? Oh, my goodness. We're putting you on the spot here tonight. <laughs> I don't, it just came to me. I don't know where this came from, it, but I would like to be in Dylan Thomas's A Child's Christmas in Wales. Oh, wow. Interesting. There's several um, TV adaptations to, to bring his poem alive. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but they're all, you know, drawn from his Welsh poem, which is a nostalgic look back on his Christmases of his youth. And it's really just a, a reflection on nostalgia in general. An amazing poem. Yeah, that would be really great to just sort of experience a Welsh Christmas. That'd be fun. That'd be different. Yeah, for sure. Good answer. And I know we received a lot of questions from our listeners about Christmas music proclivities and stuff like that. Since there are so many, we decided we're going to dedicate a whole episode to Christmas music, the last episode of the year. So stay tuned for that. But just real quick, did you guys see, hear John Legend's uh, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas? Not yet. Oh, you have to listen to it on YouTube. It sounds great. It is everything you would want from a John Legend Christmas song. I mean, it's perfect. I don't know who who he's singing with. He's got a female vocalist in there as well. And she is just, she knocked it out of the park. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, we talked a lot about it, but we do have the social medias. Feel free to uh, engage with us there. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, join our subreddit. You can find the links to all of those on our website, tisthepodcast.com, as well as an updated list of all, all of our holiday movie rankings. And if you want more content that is not specifically Christmas branded, although we've got some of that too, we have some episodes up on our Patreon site. So you go to patreon.com, search for Tis the Podcast, and for a small minimum donation of a dollar a month, it gives you access to that extra content. We have the full unedited version of the Office Christmas episodes. We have Friends Thanksgiving episodes coming up, and we're just really looking to heap a lot more content there on Patreon for people that want to hear a little bit more. Um, But you can always find us here where we always are um, for free. So come and visit us if you want to. So next week we are officially in November. Can you believe that guys? No, but yay. (laughs) And that's kicking off our two straight months of uh, Christmas classics. So next week we are returning to the world of Rankin Bass and covering 1974's A Year Without a Santa Claus. So I appreciate Joanna bringing that up during the discussion of this episode. It's almost like she knew. And uh, the week after, we're we're covering 1992's Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. And I'm excited to see what you guys think of the sequel, because I'm always curious to see whether people like the sequel better than the original or not. So we may have to do a poll for that one when we get closer. Cool. If you're listening to this on the day we drop, we only have 1,344 hours left until Christmas. Which is only 56 days. Which is eight weeks. Yay! (laughs) We're so close. It's time to decorate. It is. (laughs) I'm just going to put all the Halloween stuff away before Halloween even hits, and I'm just going to commit to it. It's going to be Christmas for Halloween. Last year, I switched to our Halloween night. I may have to do that again this year. (laughs) Um, It didn't happen. Do your homework, guys. And thanks, Joanna, for joining us this episode. Thanks, Joanna. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Bye. Through the years, we all will be together. If the fates allow, until then, we'll have to muddle through somehow. So have yourself.
A merry little Christmas 